Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. And amen. It's been sweet to be in this house this morning, hasn't it? Amen and amen. And how about the new neighborhoods in the house? That's good, isn't it? Yeah, amen. You'll notice that they're not completely finished, all right? Um, but they're going to be finished. And so thank you for your patience and your grace. Uh, it's awesome to have, be able to have more people come and sit together. It didn't need to not have to say, hey, we got to go find two. You, two of your family got to sit over here. Two of your family got to sit over here. But now we got some more seating, and you can sit together, hopefully. I want to say this to you, too. I hope that you'll move around the room a little bit. You know, we, uh, uh, I'll say Baptist, just because that's in the name of the, chur- name of the church. We have a tendency, don't we, to get settled in our spot? Anybody out there? And uh, so I want to encourage you, as this is a new opportunity, to move around the building a little bit. Amen? Find some new neighborhoods. Get to know some new people. Now, people say this sometimes. They say, man, that's a big church. It's a lot of people. Hard for me to get to know anybody. I'll say this. It, it, it really depends on the effort that you put in. And so I encourage you, move around. Get to know the people around you. Have some conversations and uh, get to know some people. I'm telling you, there's some wonderful people here. I hadn't met a perfect one yet. Huh? including the preacher. And so if you're looking for a perfect church, you've come to the wrong place. I want to burst your bubble right away, um, but let you know that truthfully there are none this side of heaven. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you, join me this morning in the gospel according to Matthew. And we're going to look at chapter number two, Matthew chapter number two. Can y'all smile at me one time? I feel like y'all are real serious this morning. Boy, y'all got locked in in a hurry. And uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be with God's people. It's good to be under the preached word. It's good to sing praises to the Lord. It's good to be healing. How many of you are healing today? Anybody else in here healing besides me? Oh, it's good to be healing, isn't it? It's good to be in the process of healing. I know some of you got some surgeries ahead, and some of you just been through some, and I'm just recently reminded that you need extra prayer, and we're praying for you as we continue the journey together. It's so good to have a family of faith. You know what? And to be a part of a gathering, to get to know people and to have them there when you need them. And I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for being here for me and my family. And especially, I have to say in front of all of you, my wife. Let me just tell you something. Can you imagine getting two people ready? And one of them being my size. And not just my size, but my temperament. Huh? And so, I want to just say to her in front of all of you, I thank God for you. I really do. And, uh, all right, I'm not getting choked up. I'm going to move on. Uh, If you're our guest this morning, if you'll notice on the back of some of the chairs, there's a little QR code. I wish that you would take that and scan it with your phone so that we would know how we can better serve you and minister to you in the days ahead, okay? Now, as we're looking at Matthew chapter 2, you're probably thinking, man, uh, Christmas is over, right? Uh, I know some of y'all are getting like, oh, we're going back to a Christmas theme. And uh, and oftentimes, uh, I don't know if it's like our house, but like right away, Tina started putting away some of the Christmas stuff, right? Like it's like Christmas Day happened and she automatically started shifting her mind into putting things away and organizing how they go. Anybody else that way? Raise your hand if you started. Go ahead and, oh yeah, all right. So there's a good bit of us, about half. About half of you, it'll be up next year, right? That's my team. Anybody on my team? All right, yeah, it'll be up next year when it comes around. But they, 
the planning and the process of that sometimes causes us to shift. And so I want to I be careful to help you know that Matthew chapter 2 um, is not so much a Christmas story, uh, except that the whole Bible is a Christmas story, meaning this, the Christ came to us, and that's the whole purpose of Genesis to Revelation, right? That God sent his son, the Messiah, to come to us in our need, and he gave his son for us that we might know him, okay? So really, it's all, if you want to wrap it up that way. But this, this is the part of the nativity scene that always gets jacked up. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, where you have the nativity scene, and you got the shepherds there, and you have the donkeys there, right, and you have the camels there, and then you have three wise men, or three kings. Um, now, there's a lot that's wrong with that picture, and we'll talk about that as we go along uh, this morning, okay? Now, some of you are like, oh, no, and you're thinking about having to change your nativity. It's okay. You can just distance them a little bit. You'll figure it out before we get through, Okay. Now, and nobody's mad at you, okay, or, or, or angry with you. Just, I just pray that you'll learn something today from the Scripture, okay? Now, without any further ado, I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me in honor of reading God's Word. And let's read Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read all the way from verse 1 all the way down to verse number 18. That okay with you all? Great. Here I go. Uh, if you can't stand uh, physically, just stand in your heart, and, uh, and you'll be honoring the word, reading of God's Word with us, okay? Beginning in verse number 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. You notice he said three kings, right? Oh, I didn't see that either. All right, verse 2. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child, oh, not baby Jesus, young child Jesus, where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down, somebody help me, and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their, uh, for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then, verse 16, <clears throat> Herod, when he saw that was, he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet when he said, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. I'm going to read a little further, verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go in the land of Israel. 
For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Let's bow for a quick word of prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you this morning for the great truth recorded in your word. And Lord, I pray that today by the power of your spirit, you would help me to proclaim this great truth with boldness and clarity in such a way, Lord, that the simplest among us to the most educated could understand it. Lord, no matter how old or how young, all of us would hear and know exactly what you said and what you're still saying today. May you also give us ears to hear that still small voice that speaks individually and personally. Father, I pray that you'd cause us to sit on the front edge of our seat, that we'd not be distracted, that God, it'd be as if we're sitting at the table one-on-one, father and son or father and daughter. Would you speak to us from heaven? Help us to listen. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, let's rewind to the beginning, if we can, back to verse, uh, about verse number one, if we can, all right? And let me tell you the title of the message, Threatened or Surrendered. I want you to write those two words down, and really it's a three words, threatened or surrendered, and it's a question, a three-word question, threatened or surrendered. And so as we get started this morning, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me say this. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer the question, are you threatened or are you surrendered? Would you just write that down? Okay. Now, the story goes of a lady who was traveling one holiday season, and she had gone to visit relatives and was traveling on her way home about a six-hour journey on her own, one that she tried not to travel alone, but on this particular year, there was no way to avoid it. And so as she traveled, she'd made a stop at a, uh, a truck stop there on the, off of the highway to get some gas and grab a few snacks. Uh, she got back in her car, and after fueling up, knowing that she still had four or five hours ahead, she gets back on the interstate and begins to continue her journey. Well, as she's going along, she notices as she gets off, uh, or excuse me, onto the interstate off of the on-ramp, she notices that there's a large truck that's coming on the interstate with her about the same time. And as she's traveling, uh, the 18-wheeler in the background gets a little closer and a little closer and a little closer, and she begins to talk to her. So you ever talk to yourself in your head? And she begins to say to herself, now, I know that that 18-wheeler is not coming for me. He just is probably in a hurry, right? And so she says, I'm in the right lane. I'll just slow down a little bit, and I'll be fine. And she says, as she slowed down, the story goes, uh, the 18-wheeler was so close, he was just about touching her bumper. He's flashing the lights, and, uh, and, and she's, all of a sudden, her heart begins to race. Can you imagine the panic that's going on in her heart? She's all along in a distant stretch of the interstate where there are no lights in the distance, and she's traveling, and she's slowed down to let him pass, and yet he's getting closer and closer and closer on her, on her bumper. And as she watches him, she decides, well, I'll, maybe I'll speed up. And so she speeds up, and then she finds out that an 18-wheeler that is unloaded is a lot faster than somebody might think. And so the faster she goes, the faster the 18-wheeler goes. The closer he gets, flashing his lights right on her bumper. She gets in the left lane thinking maybe he wants the right lane. He gets in the left lane, left lane with her, all the while staying at a very unsafe distance right behind her tail. And so finally, she said her tail lights. And so what she says, finally, she's going as fast as she can. She notices that there is an exit and it has a gas station. So as quick as she can, she takes the off-ramp. And as she takes the off-ramp at an abundant rate of speed, she slides into the gas station and quickly gets as close to the uh, gas station as she can, snatches her door open, and runs inside. And she feels a little safer now. Can you imagine? She's inside the gas station now. The 18-wheeler pulls up right behind her car. She's looking out the window to see what happens. The driver of the 18-wheeler comes out, hops down, goes immediately to her car, snatches open the back door, reaches inside, and pulls out a man that he had seen uh, sneak into her back seat at the, follow the gas station just before. Pulls him out and has him down and, sub and, and submissive when the police come to arrest him. Here's what I want you to see. Sometimes we're threatened by the thing 
that truly is our rescue. Now, what I want you to think about this morning is about how two people, how two individuals, or a group of people, maybe we would say, let's put it this way, two responses to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to look at this morning, okay? A threatened response or a surrendered response. Now, would you agree with me that you and I have the capacity that when we feel threatened to what we hear oftentimes is fight or flight? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, we feel threatened in a corner, and we, some of us have a tendency that the moment we feel threatened, we are going to fight, man. And that's, my, that's the category I find myself in. We fight right away. But others of us, when we feel threatened, we fly. What does that mean? We run away. We try to remove ourselves from the situation, right? And so there's this fight or flight syndrome that happens when we perceive something as a threat. The problem is, the problem is, we often perceive Jesus Christ as a threat. And you say, what in the world is this preacher talking about? A threat? A threat to what? A threat to living life, how we want to live it, when we want to live it, where we want to live it, and at the rate in which we want to live it. And so Jesus is Lord, is a threat to selfish ambition. And by the way, might I say to you that every single one of us, man, woman, boy, and girl in this room today can take a deep breath and realize this message is for every one of us. Because we, in fact, are born with a selfish ambition, aren't we? We're born to think about us and promote us. I use this as an example every week. When you come in the parking lot, where did you park today? When you pulled on the lot, when you thought about where should I park, who'd you think of first? The person who has had a bad back or who might be on the wheelchair? person who had recently taken a fall? Or did you, did, did you say, you know what? I'm pretty healthy. I'm going to park as far away as I can from the door so that some other self has an easier route. You see what I mean? We really are governed more by selfish ambition than we think. Now, let's dive into the text. Y'all ready? Y'all don't look mad at me. I don't know where you parked. Now, it's funny. Some of y'all are going to be making a loop going back to your vehicle, aren't you? You're going to go back a long way out. Honest to goodness, selfish ambition governs more of our lives than we're willing to admit. Okay, now, let's just dive into the text, okay? Now, looking back with me in verses one through three, let me give you the main idea of the passage. Here it is. Jesus is worthy of all worship. Would you just write that down and we'll explain it as we go along, okay? Jesus is worthy of all worship. And might I say, I'm starting to feel it again. I, last week I was in the pulpit, but guys, I can tell you I wasn't feeling it, amen? I'm feeling it today and I hope that you're buckled up, all right, so we can dive in this thing together. All right, main idea, Jesus is worthy of all worship. Two responses to Jesus, the first one, number one. All right, number one, first response, two words, remove him, remove him. Now, if I sent a, a, a note, sheet of notebook paper around the room and I said, I want to take a poll here and I want to ask you, would you want to remove Jesus? I don't think there's maybe one or two of us in the room, no, I don't know who you are, would say, yes, I want to remove Jesus from the scene. And so bear with me as I flesh this out and talk about how we can oftentimes respond the same way Herod did, although in our own application. So let's look at verses one and on down through verse number eight, actually. Okay, so now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, listen, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now this word wise men comes from a root word magi, and it is where we get the English word magic, but it's not where this word began. When you do word studies, you find they take on new meanings in different languages. Instead, this word is more of an astrology type of word. It's a word of men that were studied in the stars and the heavens and uh, oftentimes influenced in this far off land, okay, which we don't know exactly who that is, Persia, Babylon, most likely Babylon, but influenced by a Jewish community who uh, know the prophecies of the coming king. But oftentimes in that season, when they would see a star over a place, uh, a, a new star, they would assume that to be that a new king had been born. And so we find these wise men. Now, how many of them were there? Please don't say three. Uh, because uh, nowhere in the text did we find that there were 
three kings of Orient are, right? And what we do is oftentimes we take these three gifts and we say, well, if there are only three gifts, there must have only been three guys, now, which is silly because men of this renown, men of this position, men of this priority, men of this prestige would not have traveled such a long journey with just those three. They would have had people there to take care of them. It would have been a much larger. So, so instead of seeing the scene of three men on a camel across the desert, I want you to see a large entourage of very prominent people from a faraway land traveling, following the star over a location, over Israel, knowing that there had been a king in their eyes that had been born. Now, read with me. Uh, this is what they said when they got there, okay? Verse number two. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, when Herod heard this, Herod at the time was the sitting king of Israel, the king of the Jews, okay? Now, here's what's interesting. He was not a Jew. He was half Jewish, half Idumean. And you don't need to know what that is other than he's just, he was not the rightful king. Now, notice this. Uh, notice the wording of the wise men, what the wise group of people, what they said. We're looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. In other words, I'm looking at the one who's a usurper. I'm, 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 I'm passing through the territory of the one who's seated in the, in the spot, but I'm looking for the one who was born of God to be the king of kings and lord of lords, okay? Now, what, what I'm painting here is the picture of why Herod is all of a sudden threatened by these men from the, from the east who came to say, we know that there's the true king of the Jews that has been born. It's the rightful king. And so immediately, let's read a little further. When Herod the king heard this, you're reading with me, verse number three. He was, read the, read the word with me, he was troubled. He was troubled. You know this word in the Greek means uh, agitated, extremely agitated. Uh, when you look into the life of Herod, you find that he was a man, the older he got, uh, the more afraid he was uh, of his surroundings. He had, he had some of his own family members killed because he thought they were trying to usurp his authority. And so when they hear, wait a minute, and when he hears, wait a minute, there's been one who's been born to take my throne, he felt, here's the word, threatened. Maybe you'd write that word somewhere in your notes the word threatened. And I want you to think for just a minute about how you can apply that to your life. Have you ever felt threatened by Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about the idea of Jesus that we oftentimes conjure up, that he's just love and, and mercy and grace. And all you have to do is pray this prayer and you'll be right with God and you can live how you want to live and it's no problem. You don't have to worship him. You can just live how you want to do. And I'm not talking about that Jesus. I'm talking about the biblical Jesus. The biblical Jesus that says you must uh, love him in such a way that the love you have for your mother and your father and your children appears to be hate as much as you love them because you love him that much more. I I'm talking about the Jesus who said, uh, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. I I'm talking about the Jesus who said, if someone asks to borrow something from you, give it to them and expect nothing in return. I'm talking about the Jesus who says, your life is no longer your own. When you come to Jesus, you surrender it all. You confess him as Lord. You die to yourself, your plans, your agenda, and you turn it on. Is anybody else in the house besides me ever felt threatened by that Jesus? Because I'm telling you, he's an extreme threat to selfish ambition. Uh, he calls for us to be completely committed to him. So uh, the first response we see from Herod was to do what? Remove him. Let me read a little further along, okay? Picking up in verse 4. And when he gathered all the chief, oh, and notice what he says, uh, and when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Israel with him, most likely most of the prominent leaders that were then placed in their positions by Herod himself, right? Because if Herod is ousted, they're ousted too. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, in verse 4, we uh, understand something else about Herod. Herod was one who claimed to be a Judaizer. He had committed to the Jewish faith, right? But we see how shallow it was because he, in his own right, had not studied the Scriptures on his own. So he has to gather a bunch of other people together to tell him what the Scriptures say. Be careful not to find yourself in Herod's position. Be careful not to be somebody who trusts me or any other individual in your life because you've not spent time on your own and your personal faith with the Messiah, spending time in His Word, letting His Word and His Spirit nurture you and encourage you and shape how you live your life, okay? It's how you'll know when somebody tells you a lie when you study the truth, okay? So uh, He has to have others to come in. Read along verse number 5. So it was, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it was written by the prophet Micah, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. Now this we learn now, this is where the two years and under, we understand this is some time frame has passed, okay? Notice that the uh, wise men did not come to baby Jesus, okay? But the wise men came to infant Jesus. Is everybody tracking with me? Some of y'all, I just shattered your nativity scene, and you're so upset. You're looking, you won't even look up here at me. It's okay. It's all right. We want to be biblical in our understanding, right, of what happened. And so that's why I say it's, it's not a Christmas Day type of message, right? But it is right preceding that. And understand what's taking place here is that they've traveled all this distance, and now they're there, and Herod is feeling threatened by the coming of the true king of Israel. But when he had secretly, verse 7, called the wise men, he determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and this is what he said. Listen to this. Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and, y'all help me, what did he say? Worship him. What I've learned about our lives when we are, when we become agitated. Now, let me just, let me just say this to you. So, we're talking about removing him. And I believe with all my heart, as we all came in today, we didn't, we would never even consider removing Jesus, Okay. Uh, we would never consider, like, like Herod, killing all the two-year-olds and under to get rid of Jesus. I don't, I don't believe there's one of us in here that would do that. But what I do believe is there are many of us who are agitated by his opposition to our selfish ambition. I believe there are times when his lifestyle and our lifestyle, his lifestyle cramps our lifestyle, and we can get agitated, can't we? I'm afraid there's times when I'm commanded by Jesus to forgive, and I don't want to forgive, and it agitates me a little bit. I know there are times in my life when I'm, I'm called to be generous and to be a giver, and yet the selfish side of me gets a little agitated when I know I'm supposed to be giving because my Father's given me. I don't know about, I may be just preaching to myself today, but does anybody else relate to what I'm talking about? Isn't it interesting that you'd look at Herod and be able to say, man, there's times in my life I can relate to how Herod related to Jesus. It's a sad thing in my life, but it's the truth nonetheless. So let me just say this, all right? Uh, another statement that I'm going to move on. Uh, Jesus, then, is the great opposition to self-rule. Maybe write that somewhere. Jesus is the great opposition to what? Self-rule. Now you say, wait a minute, I thought the Word of God talks about self-control. Yes, self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? But the self-control of the Holy Spirit is self-under control. Self-under the control of the Holy Spirit. Big difference between self being controlled by self, all right? So Jesus is the great opposition to self-rule. Now, here's what we think sometimes, right? Here's the atheistic approach. You ready? You say, what is an atheist? One who says that there is no God. I don't call it atheistic. I call it the foolish approach. You say, well, that's mean. I, no, no, no. The Bible says that a fool is the one who said in his own heart there is no God. So I'm just being biblical. It's a foolish approach. 
Here's the atheistic approach. If we can remove him, then we don't have to obey him. If we can remove him by ignoring him or saying that he doesn't exist, then I don't have to bow down before him. That's the atheistic approach. Here's another approach we come to. If we can remove the biblical him, then we can, we can worship the Jesus of our imagination who ultimately is ourselves. And so we have to be careful, don't we? That we're not removing him by deconstructing what the Word of God tells us about the Messiah and the way he lived his life, the way he called his disciples to live their lives, and not let, listen, and not let our own imagination shape this Jesus that says, do what you want to do. It's no big deal. Just go to church sometimes and miss out on the Messiah that says, come, take my hand. I'm going to lead you on a journey. Submit to me, and I'll show you a life you can't imagine. I'll give you a purpose worth living for. I'll show you a place and a purpose that I gave you all the resources I've given you, and your life will be worth living, and it'll impact eternity. Let me just move forward if I can, all right? Two things I want to notice in this particular part of the text. Number one, write this in, or underneath, remove him. Number one, selfish ambitions waste our resources. Would you write that down quickly? Selfish ambitions waste our, help me somebody, resources. They waste our resources. What do you mean? In verses four and on down through verse eight, uh, Herod has found himself now gathering all these people. Now, understand they didn't have text messages. They didn't have social media. They didn't have telephones. It took time. It took resources. It took all kind of energy to get all those people together and to go through all that searching and all the things that they did to try to tell him where and all that was going on. And I want to say to you, the same way that Herod wasted resources, so do you and I when selfish ambition makes the call. It's what leads to a lifestyle. Listen to me. It's what leads to a lifestyle of saying, you know what? The goal of my life is to live to a ripe old age, save well, have a travel trailer, travel the world, experience all this world has to offer, collect shells and different things from different places, and then die and have nothing to show for the great investment of God in my life. What a sad waste of resources. Anybody amen with me right there? I'd hate to know that at the end of my journey, that had been the story, okay? So, selfish ambition wastes our resources, our time, listen, our time, our talent, and our resources, okay? Our treasures, our time, our talent, our treasures. Have you, like me, wasted any of that so far? Okay, quick question, all around the room. Have you ever, just by a show of hands, that you have, in fact, wasted some? I, okay, I'm going to do this. Wait, wait, let's do this. I'm going to say just 2023, how many of you like me in 2023 have wasted some of that on selfish ambition? Okay, whew, I thought I was going to be here by myself with my one good arm. And y'all, I thank God I saw more arms in the house. Uh, I have, I have certainly, and I'm not happy about that. I'm not boldly proclaiming that. I'm just saying it breaks my heart to know that I have certainly wasted some energy and resources, time, talent, treasures on selfish ambition this year, right? Now, I have a choice. And so do you. I can wallow in that, Right? I can say, oh, woe is me. I'm the worst thing that ever happened. I can wallow in that and, and, and have no benefit. Or I can say, you know what, God, show me those areas. And Lord Jesus, be Lord of those areas. Don't, don't let me feel threatened. Help me to surrender, okay? So let me move on. All right, selfish ambition wastes our resources. Number two, number two. Write this in your notes. Anybody have as much fun as I am right now? I'm telling you what, I'm feeling like I'm back. All right, number two, selfish ambitions lead us to all manner of sin. Did you know that? They lead us to, now they usually don't start there, selfish ambition, right? We began a little something for us, and then that little something's good, but it's not enough, and so we have to have a little something else, and then it's not enough, and a little something else, and all of a sudden it turns into something. Man, it can be something very wicked. Look what it was for, look what it was for Herod. Let's skip down to verse 16 to 18 with me. 
Now, remember, his life was threatened by Jesus because what governed his life was selfish ambition or his self. And so because of that, he was threatened by Jesus taking his position and, and taking up uh, his life. And so Herod then, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly... We're going to see that word exceedingly twice in this passage. Once with joy and once with anger. I have a question for you. Which would you rather be? Now, I want you to think about it now before you just answer right away. Have you ever been exceedingly angry? Now, I'm not talking about like when you got mad this morning because kids didn't get up and out. I'm talking about have you ever been exceedingly angry? Like a rage kind of anger. Anybody in here ever done that before? Where you, where you, where you just can't get it off your mind? Where you, you're nauseated, your stomach's in knots, and you're afraid of what you might do? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever experienced what I'm talking about right there. There's a, if you get to, and by the way, when you find yourself there, it's usually not because you pushed a button and said, huh, today I want to be, boom, exceedingly angry. Yes, this is awesome. No. You find yourself there and you can't get out of it, right? And you, you're saying, okay, I got to stop this. And then as soon as you say that, <laughs> seems like it piles on even worse, doesn't it? And so there's this exceeding angry when self is on the throne and when self is ruling and you feel threatened by him instead of surrendering to him, anger begins to dominate because here's the thing, nobody gets their way all the time. Can I say that to you again? The reason with which the anger was roused in Herod is that he wanted this child to be stamped out. And because he wanted this child to be stamped out, these wise men had tricked him and went a different way. And now he is, they are exceedingly, he is exceedingly angry. I'm telling you, if I get to choose, I want exceeding joy way more than I want exceeding anger, all right? So again, if we can remove, we oftentimes find ourselves in this place of selfish ambition. It can lead to all manner of sin. Can I say to you that in 2023, uh, not only in my own life, but I saw in many lives, many lives within our own gathering that would say to you, I never would have believed I committed the sin that I committed. I would never share with you a name. I'd never share with you a situation. But let me just assure you, as the under-shepherd here, and knowing a lot of the lives in this room, right, that there are many that are sitting among us right now who would say to you, I never would have believed if you'd have told me at the end of 2022, I would have done what I did. Where does it begin? Selfish ambition. When you have a wrong idea about who Jesus is, a low evaluation of who Christ is, when Christ is the Christ of your imagination, when Christ is the Christ of just pray a prayer and live life as you want, a Christ that demands nothing from you, that requires no response, a Christ that is simply something comfortable, safe, and pleasurable, then life begins to be about ourselves. And man, we can make the smallest decisions, listen to me, that lead to some of the greatest failures. Can I say that to you again this morning? We can make some of the smallest decisions that lead to some of the greatest failures of our lives. You know, and I want to say this about you, and I hope you feel this way about me. I don't want to see you fail. I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want to see your family suffer. I don't want to see your kids suffer. I don't want to see your loved ones suffer, your best friends. I want to see your business suffer. I don't know about you guys, but I think the heart of a believer wants to see each other prosper and to do well and experience the fullness of knowing him. Well, one way to avoid that is to not be on the throne of our own life. How can I know if I am? If I'm threatened by the biblical Jesus and what he desires of my life. Okay, let me move on if I can. I said two responses, so now let's look at the second one. Y'all got time for the second one? Good. Good, I know you did. We got the door shut and nobody's coming in behind us. Hallelujah, aren't you glad? Huh? Hey, all right, let's look at the second response, okay? So the first one was, remove him. 
And you may be saying, I would never remove Jesus like Herod did. No, but you may deconstruct who he is biblically and construct who he is in your imagination and make him something that he's really not, in essence, removing the true and Jesus. And I pray that that would not be the case in my life, and I pray it not be the case in yours, but that we'd be spending time in the Scripture, letting the Spirit speak and us really understanding who Jesus is, and instead of being threatened by Him as the flesh, falling more in love with Him by the Spirit. Let me go on. Roman numeral two in your notes. The second response is to worship Him. Would you put that down in your notes? Number two, worship Him. Worship Him. Now, this is going to be verses one and two, and then down in verses nine to 11. Okay, so write in your notes there. All right, Matthew 2, 1 and 2, and then 9 through 11, worship him. So the first response, remove him. What did removing him lead to? Exceeding anger and a whole lot of anguish. By the way, did you notice that Herod's life, he killed all those babies? You know, two years and younger, he killed all of them. And there's a large portion of the text deals with the sadness of the parents, the mamas, and the and so know this, that when your life is not centered on Jesus and you're not surrendered to him, but you're threatened by him, and because of living for ourselves, the sin in our life doesn't just affect our lives. It affects the lives of those people around us, okay? So here we go, Roman number two. Look back with me in verses one and two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. Now, here's the word I want you to notice. It's an action word. It's the word came. They came to Jerusalem. Now, you say, what in the world does this word highlight? What does it mean? Well, worship is action, are you with me? And so this faith that led them to worship, they, they saw the star, and because they believed in what they had heard, they moved, they acted on it. See, faith without works is, is dead. And so they move into action, okay? And so what we find here is that they come. So there's a couple of things I want you to write down, actually five things. Number one, okay? This is under the response to worship him. Number one, worship is the action of faith. Would you write that down? What produces worship in my life? Faith does. What in the world would I worship something I didn't believe in? Okay? So, worship is the action of faith. What I believe, I do. If I believe he's worth something to me, you're going to know it. Is that a true statement? Somebody amen? If I believe he is Lord of lords, you're going to know it. If I believe he's king of kings, you're going to know it. If I believe that he saved me, brought me into the kingdom of heaven, forgave my sin. You're going to know it, man. I'm going to talk about him. He's the one that changed everything for me. You're not going to have to say, hmm, I wonder what, who he is and what he does. If you spend any time with a believer, you ought to be able to tell right away because you can't help when someone has done something for you like Jesus has done for me to open your mouth and talk about it. So think about this for just a minute. Worship is the action of faith. They got in their car. No, they didn't. They got in their caravan, if you will. No, that's not a vehicle. That's just a group of people. And they made a journey. And so their faith, it was an act of worship. They wanted to go worship. What was the purpose? They wanted to go worship. What was the end result? They wanted to worship King Jesus. Here's a question I put in my notes. I'm going to share it with you. What am I doing that expresses my awe and my love for King Jesus? Would you write that question somewhere and wrestle with it in these next few days? What in my life? Go ahead and write it down. Y'all just kind of staring at me. I want you to jot it down somewhere. Type it in your phone if you need to. This is a question for you. It's going to be longer than the time we have here just in closing, all right? So what am I doing that expresses my awe? My awe. You know what I mean by awe? That awestruck, amazing marvel at who God is. What in your life are you doing that says you're in awe of him? And the second part of that is what am I doing in my life that says I love him? I love him. Hopefully you can say Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which would be, because I love him, I'm making disciples. He told me to, 
and so I am. All right? Everybody okay? All right, here we go. Number one, we said worship is the action of faith. Number two, write this down, worship produces exceedingly great joy. Look with me back in verses 9 and 10. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, before verse 9, we don't hear any mention of the star moving, just that the star has appeared over a place, and they've gone to that place, and now we hear the actual star moving and stopping in the place where the Christ child was. And so what happens is, as they are acting on their faith as an action expression of worship, when they get to the place where he is, when they see the star again, they know it represents where he is, they rejoice, come on somebody, with exceedingly great joy. Have you seen anybody this season that has expressed exceedingly great joy? Anybody? I would say the most common place would probably be in the faces of children. Would you agree with that? Uh, and most likely when they were having to wait to open presents. I was just checking to see if you were asleep. That's not when they're exceedingly joy. But most of the time, children are having exceedingly great joy when they're, oh, come on, somebody. Y'all are getting all spiritual. I'm not going to say that about my kids. It was true about me. It's true about you. It's true about most children. What? They're exceedingly great joy when they're opening the gifts, the thing that they want, the thing that's going to add joy to their life, the thing that's going to make life, in the, in the eyes of a child, going to make life better. See the connection? They saw the star, and they knew he was the one who was going to not make life better, but make dead things alive. They knew that they were going to the one who's not just going to come to make us good people, but to move us from enemies of God to children of God. And so when they saw that star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And so true worship produces exceeding great joy. Let me ask you a question. How's your joy? Some of you, I'm just going to say to you, it's gone. And it's been gone for a while. And I'm afraid it's because of circumstances of life that have impacted your joy, have stolen away the joy of your salvation. And I believe it'd be good for many of us today to be like David and say, oh God, would you restore to me the joy of, y'all help me, my salvation. Bring me back to that place as Ryan sang about. When you saved me and washed me clean, help me be reminded that I've been born again. Or if you hadn't been, you should be filled with exceedingly great joy that you can be today. There's hope for you in this journey. So worship produces exceedingly great joy. Let me, let me just give you a question. Can I share with you a question I wrote in my notes? Here I go. I'm going to do it. Could it be the reason my joy is low or gone because I'm wasting my resources worshiping the wrong king? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a great question, just to wrestle with it, you know, and I can't answer it for you, and you can't answer it for me, and listen, God's not going to hold you responsible for answering it for somebody else. This is one you have to answer, come on, somebody help me, for ourselves, right? It's a personal relationship. So here's the question again, could it be the reason my joy is low or has gone away is because I'm wasting my resources worshiping the wrong king? My life, my agenda, my hobbies, my career, my marriage, my, my, my. And if I'm worshiping the wrong king, I'll never have the joy that worshiping Jesus will give me. All right, let me move on. Number three, there's only five. Look, y'all guys, y'all are hanging on tight, aren't you? All right, can we smile again? Some of y'all look, you've gotten distressed. All right, here we go, number three. Worship, listen to this now. Worship requires, this is, a, this is a great one, watch this. Worship requires humility. Would you write that down? Worship requires humility, all right? And this is gonna be found again in verse 
11. I'm going to read 9 and 10, and then, or excuse me, 10 and then 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Verse 11. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary. Now, notice he wasn't an infant, and they weren't in the stable. They weren't in the manger. They weren't, uh, he was not in that stone trough uh, that was, that was uh, normal in that day. He's not there. He's the child, the infant. It's a different word in the Greek. It's not baby Jesus. It's infant Jesus. Y'all try, how many of y'all just reckon your world finding out that the, there were more than three and they weren't at the nativity? Everybody okay? All right. It's okay. All right. We're learning. And uh, so now, if you've not heard me say that, I say this oftentimes this time of the year. So pick up with me again. Let's read that particular verse, verse 11. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's one of the most strange verses of all the Bible. How many of you agree with me on that? Raise your hand if you think that's one of the strangest things you've ever heard in your life. Now, some of y'all are weird then. One more time. How many of y'all think that's one of the strangest verses you've ever heard in the Bible? The rest of y'all, I'm not coming to y'all's house if you let strangers walk in and bow down in front of your children. Huh? Five people raise their hand. The rest of y'all are like, yeah, I like strangers coming knock on my door. Grown people, just come on in. Bow down on the floor and worship my baby. Strange, man. Are you, I mean, seriously. Knock at the door, you know. Hey, Tina, who's at the door? I don't know. Let's go see. Open the door. Oh, it's a big group of folks. Oh, they're coming in. Oh, oh, oh okay, well, y'all come on in. Oh, wow. Oh, wait, wait, wait. They're all bowing down in front of the baby. What in the world? Some of us would run for our guns, wouldn't we? Huh? Uh-huh. Now I'm talking to somebody. And, and yet, with reckless abandon, with no concern for Mary or Joseph, and by the way, it reminds us that, that Mary's not to be highlighted. Joseph's not to be highlighted. There was only one in the room who's to be worshiped. And they bowed down and worshiped the King of kings and Lord of lords. My goodness, what humility to have these men who were of renown in their own country who have humbled themselves and made a long and difficult journey. Listen, they didn't have Uber. They didn't have, they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. They made a long, difficult journey, and they did so in humility because they wanted to see the coming, the coming king. And now they've found the house. The star has rested. They found where he's at. They go in. And they don't say, hey, mama, listen, would it be okay if they just go in and immediately bow down? I wonder what, I wonder what 2024 would look like if you brought humility in your relationship with the king. Now, let me say to you something you've heard if you've been around here very long. You've heard me say that there's this new way of declaring, decreeing, and so on in prayer lives. You know, you hear people say, I demand, and I cancel, and I this, and I that. And I challenge you then to find a verse in Scripture to show me where that's biblical. Now, preacher, the Bible says to come boldly. Yes, he's not talking about in speech. He's talking about an attitude. Because I come boldly before my Father who has the power to, yes, annihilate me if he would like to. But I can come boldly because he's not going to. Not because I'm a good old boy, but because of the covering of Jesus on my life. So I can boldly come before him. But that doesn't mean I declare and demand and decree and cancel. It means sometimes I need to say this in my prayer life. Lord, would you? Some of us need to put this into our prayer language. Lord, please. God, can I? Lord, if, is there any way in your will? And the humility of worship. I'm telling you, when you and I find ourselves as the lesser, it sure is a freeing thing. Let me say that to you again. When we finally find ourselves as the lesser, and it's a long journey, isn't it? What a freeing thing. When we finally realize it's not us. 
And it's not all about us, and it's not all depending on us. Oh, I shout hallelujah on that one. That we can depend on the one who knitted together galaxies and breathed them into their direct locations in such a fashion and a manner that you and I just simply get up and get to breathe his air and enjoy the pleasures and the beauty of his creation. What a Savior, this Jesus. So we're either threatened by him or we're surrendered to him, right? So what happens is worship requires humility. And I want to just give this question. When, when will you and I finally fall down in true surrender and worship to him? Now, notice I didn't say, when will you? Notice I said, when will we? When will we? I want you to look up. Some of y'all looking down the carpet. I want everybody to look up here. Every person, single person. Young people, help me out. Look, check out, make sure mom, dad, grandma, and granddad's awake. All right, check their eyes because they've had a lot of turkey and they've been up late. And are y'all, everybody look at me for just a second. Okay, here it is. When will we finally bow down in total and true surrender and worship him with all that we are? It's a question I wrestled with early this morning, late yesterday evening, because I'm just going to be honest with you. We are not there yet. Can somebody amen that with me? We're not there yet. Me and you, we're not there yet. The good news is he's not mad at us. He's not wanting to send lightning rods our way and light us up crispy critters. But instead today, he brings us out of our homes, gathers us in a location, gives us the gift of preaching through the man he's chosen by his spirit. And he says to me and to you, Come on, when will you figure out? When you'll bow down in total surrender, I'll show you things you've never seen before. I'll bring you to places and, and in your mind. Listen, I'm not just talking about places on planet Earth. I'm talking about places in your mind and in your attitude with joy and true peace that you can't buy, nobody can counsel you into, and you can't medicate your way to. True surrender is the only path. So we find this uh, example of humility. I'm trying to move on. Number four, we're hurrying. No, we're really not hurrying. Number four, worship, listen to this, presents the best offerings. Would you put that down in your notes? Now we're talking about one or two responses, remove him or worship him. We're trying to remove him, the biblical him. We're trying to make a new idea of who he is, that he doesn't demand things, that he doesn't desire things, that he doesn't control my life, that I'm still, he's my Lord, I'm going to heaven, but I still do what I want to do. That's removing him. That's not a biblical Jesus. But to worship him means there's action to our faith. It means there's exceeding great joy in our life because we are worshiping him. It means that our lives are, are marked by, listen, humility. You know, what would be one of the greatest virtues of your life next year if, if people said at the end of 2024, you know, that guy's one of the most humble people I've ever met. That'd be a wonderful thing for people to say about me and you. Number four, worship presents the best gifts. Look back in verse 11 with me. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Very strange scene, but let me say very powerful scene. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold being that gift which is only given and responsible to in response to royalty. Frankincense representing deity. It was always in response to a, a deity, a God. And then finally myrrh, that, that spice which is most known for the anointing at a burial. Strange gifts to give a baby, huh? Except that he was the king, he was God, and he was going to die and resurrect for the sins of all the world. Can you imagine, Mom and Dad, you're in the room, a pile of people come in. And by the way, you know, in our little, our little cute pictures in the storybooks, we got the three kings at the nativity. We get that all jacked up. But he doesn't. He comes to the house, not the manger. He comes to the house. 
baby Jesus, child Jesus, infant Jesus, and maybe a little one-year-old Jesus, you know, and they bring in these gifts, and we see these three boxes. We don't know that. It may have been 10 boxes of gold and 10 treasures of, 100 treasures of frankincense and, and 50 treasures of, y'all tracking with me? Please don't let your mind be constrained by the storybook effect. Instead, think for just a minute about how wonderful this scene is, that, that the people of God, the Jews had rejected him, and here we see are going to reject him, and here we see pagans who are worshiping him, Gentiles, those outside the chosen people of God. What a picture, amen, that he is Savior of the whole wide world. Let me conclude if I can. So the best offerings, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, when I offer something, listen to this. Wrote this statement down. I want to share it with you, and then we'll move on. When I offer something or anything other than my best, I have failed to honor the majesty of my king. Think about that statement for just a minute. When I offer anything that is less than my best, I've failed to honor the majesty of my king. When I just throw something at him, let me ask you a question. Anybody here like me, and sometimes you just throw something at him? That's hard for me to say. But do you, you get the picture I'm making? Like I got all this time, but I'm going to throw this little time at you, Jesus. I'm going to fit you in somewhere between how much time I spend on Facebook. I'm going to throw, throw you a little bone. And I'm, I'm afraid to say that oftentimes in our life, we just sort of throw something at him. That basket's coming by, and I know there's no, I'm just going to throw a little something at him. Uh, they need people to serve in the, in the children's ministry, in the nursery. I'm on, I'm on well, I made. no, nah, I'm not going to do that. We just throw a little something at him. And, and wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be a phenomenal year if you and I would make the decision to say, you know what, true worship offers the best gifts. God, I'm going to give what I'm good at to you. I don't want to just make money off of it. God, I want to give my time to you. I want to give some of my talent to you, what I'm good at. I'm going to give some of my resources, some of my finances. I'm looking at how large our gathering is. I'm thinking about the potential of all the impact you and I can have here in Mississippi, here in the United States, and all over the world in this room, from this room. And I'm glad that we're expanding because that gives opportunity for more of us to come. Let me conclude with number five, if you will. Verse number 12, worship requires, oh, this is going to be your favorite. I'm telling you, it's going to be your favorite one. Worship requires, you know what it says? Obedience. Write that in your nose. Don't you love that word? No? Yes? Anybody? Y'all dozed off on me. All right, one more time. Don't you love that word, obedience? <laughs> yeah, it's our favorite. Uh, nobody likes that word, obey. Uh, and so let's just talk a minute about it, okay? Look in verse number, if you will, look in verse number 12. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country, another way, meaning they had a way planned, meaning they had a way mapped out, meaning they had an agenda, meaning they had already made their minds up. They'd already planned and plotted. And you following with me? They'd already had the right amount of food for the trip they were going to take. They had the right amount of resource, uh, maybe money for that trip they were going to take. And yet God in a dream told them, warned them to go another way. Now, some of us in here I will not name a name. Well, if you, God said you're going to have to go another way, so I'm not going another way. I got this thing planned out. Got it on my GPS. I got the exits where I'm going to get gas. I've been, I've been checked into who's got the cheapest gas, and I've got the best, I've got the hotels with the best price. Come on, y'all know who y'all are out there. 
And if God said, you got to go another way, so I'm not going another way. I'm not going another way. But true worship, listen, honestly, the thing we leave out oftentimes, showing him what he's worth, more often than not, it's going to find itself in this category. And that is obedience. When he says, this is how I want it to be done. Marriage, one man, one woman, for the purpose of procreation, making babies, being fruitful and multiplying, and, and supporting each other, right? And, and that's how I want it done. And for us to say anything else, us to say anything else is trying to remove him. It's trying to, listen, I want you to understand, it's not obedience. And that's why the world is so hard trying to shape and work against what is recorded in the Word of God. So we have to be careful. We have to be so careful in our lives that we say, Lord, here's my life. And what it means to worship you means to obey you. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, John 14, 15. So friend, I pray this morning that you and I would consider two responses to Jesus. The first one, y'all help me, was, come on, we can say it, to remove him. And that would be to uh, take the uh, idea of who Jesus really is biblically and shape him down into what we really want him to be. The second response we said would be to worship him. And to worship him looks a lot of different colorful ways, but my prayer is that today we'd evaluate that together. So I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Would you do that? You just bow your head with me for just a moment. And as we're bowing together for just a moment, I want you just for a second to consider honestly how it is that you have responded to the king. As the music begins to play, I'm going to say that the altar is open. Gerald's going to be down front to help me, and Brother Jimmy and Mr. Nay are going to be down. Ladies, if you'd like to have somebody pray for you, Mr. Nay is there for you. As we take just a moment, consider what it is that we've heard. Maybe there's somebody in the house that would come to the altar this morning and just begin to petition heaven. Just begin to say, oh, God, would you, would you move right now in the hearts and lives of people in this room from the oldest to the youngest? Thank you. A few brothers are coming. There's a few brothers in the house coming. Now we got a sister that's going to come and pray. There's one lady in the house, a couple ladies. You just feel led of the Holy Ghost tonight. Just come I mean, this morning. Come, come just spend a little time praying. Pray for the Spirit to move right now in a mighty way. Pray for the person who's here who does not know Jesus, who doesn't know the joy of being saved, of being born again. Maybe a family member that's in town. Maybe somebody who came to support somebody else. Maybe a child whose parents, you feel like, forced you to be here. And now the Holy Spirit is saying to you, I don't want you to be threatened by me. I want you to surrender to me so that I can forgive your sin. Give you a hope and a future and a purpose to live for. Know that there's a whole crowd of people down front praying right now for you. If you're wrestling with that, Here's the good news. There's a lot of folk down front, all the way across. Brian and Taylor, far to my left. You're right. All the way over to my right with Brother Jimmy and Mr. Renee. Y'all come. Hey, there may be some questions in your heart about salvation. Would you come to one of them? Just come ask them. Say, hey, can I talk to you about my salvation? 
Come on, there are people coming down front already. Just make your way out of your chair. Matter of fact, could we stand together? Because there are people trying to ease down through the pews and, I mean, through the chairs. And I want to just invite you guys to stand for me. Would you stand with me and stay in a spirit of prayer so they can make their way down? Just come find one of these men or these women and just say, hey, you know what? I just, I'm not certain about where I am with Jesus. I know my response to him. Listen, eternity hangs on your response to King Jesus. Jesus.